This podcast is a presentation of UCTV.TV, University of California Television. Like what you learn? Help others discover UCTV podcasts by leaving a comment or rating in your podcast app. Uh, well, I want to thank you all for being here tonight on behalf of the Pollock Center and also the Global Latinidades Center at UCSB. And we want to continue the conversation of La Manplesa with the filmmaker and one of the featured poets. The filmmaker, as we know, is uh, Ellie Walton. She is originally from this neighborhood, La, Ma- uh, La Manplesa, and she was there when this event occurred. And she is uh, a, a documentary filmmaker, but also a poet. And uh, Sami Miranda is originally from the Bronx. He is a Puerto Rican uh, heritage, and he wound up in D.C., in La Manplesa, as a student at Georgetown University, and uh, now is a high school teacher in that same area. So uh, what we want to do today is have a conversation about uh, all aspects regarding the film, regarding the events that, that are chronicled in the film. And I'd like to begin with one of the questions that too often gets left out when we talk about police brutality, police killings. And this is the person who was shot. And uh, I'd like us to, to talk a little bit about wh- what is the aftermath of all this. Uh, where is Daniel Gomez today? And if you can share a little bit of that, uh, yeah, I think we need to start there. Yeah, sure. Well, first of all, thank you so much to the Carsey Wolf Center, to the Global Latinidades Project, and to all of you for coming out tonight. It means it means the world to be in community with y'all. Um, so Daniel Gomez, he, after um, the shooting um, and the organizing, he did end up suing the city, and then the city, and he lost, and then the city ended up suing him. Um, and... You know, he survived the shooting but had hundreds of thousands of dollars in kind of medical expenses and is still a lot, like suffering a lot of health issues. Um, he's now in Virginia and he became an evangelical preacher. Um, and we, we did try to reach out to him um, when we started making the film and um, we couldn't actually get to him. And actually, it's a question that comes up a lot because obviously, you know, it is so important um, in all the shootings across the country, across the world, that, that these individuals are, are named and humanized. And I think, you know, for us, the film, when we couldn't reach him, it became so much more about the community um, and it was a community that was experiencing the same police brutality that he experienced that day. So everyone had that story. And then we really started anchoring this film's perspective in, in the artist. Like, what is the role of the artist in this movement um, to raise awareness and to create change? Thank you. Thank you. Um, well, you raised the, uh, one of the uh, second most important questions, and that is, really the role of art in social movements and specifically the type of art that is being used here, both the documentary film and the type of poetry. Uh, you know, the, the community focuses on, uh, or at least the, 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 the Raza commun- portion of the community is of Salvadoran heritage. And there's a rich revolutionary poetry tradition. And I'm thinking of Rocky Dalton. You're Boricua, 
uh, semi and that goes without saying that you know Puerto Rican poets are just always on fire because they're fighting a colonial uh, struggle right this very moment. Um, so I'd like to see if you can talk a little bit about your model of of um, documentary film. Who are you engaging? What are you engaging? What are you doing that is unique in this film? Um, and Sammy, what are you doing as an artist? Do you even identify as an artist, or or, or is that just something you do as part of some something bigger? Um, I'd like to hear your your theory of art, so to speak. You know what what are you, what do you think you're doing, and what are the potential powers and the limits also? You want to start? Right. Um, so I always start conversations about art and art making with a reference to my grandfather, right? So my grandfather, when I would ask him, Abuelo, tell me a story, right? Tell me about when you were younger. I mean, he was in the Army during World War II. He, like, migrated to New York when he was probably 19 or 20. Um, and he would look at me and he'd go, pa' qué? No importa. Doesn't matter. And he wouldn't, like, say anything. Like, I think I got him once, right? And he told me a story or two, right? But then when he died, we went into his closets, right? And we started pulling images that he had taken from 1940 to 1980, some of them that he developed in his bathroom, like the letters that my grandmother wrote to him all during World War II, the certificate he had to get in order to vote in New York City by proving he was literate. And this is not the South. This is New York. And he had to go take a test to show that he could read and write in order to be allowed to vote. Right? So he had all of this in his stuff. So I start thinking back and I'm like, Abuelo, man, you really f***ed me over. Because there's so much here, right? But I think for me, art making and being an artist, I mean, I think all art is activism, right? Just the fact that you can make the time to make it, like, you know, is activism. But I think I work so that the words that my grandfather said about his story not being important are silenced, right? So that, and I tell the stories of folks who either are like, no, that's just it. I just live a normal life. It's okay, you know, um, because those are the ones that are most likely not to be told, right? So in my poetry, in my visual work, like, it's all figurative, um, in many ways, because I want to focus in on people, because people make the story and make community and allow others to see that there's a there's a beauty in everybody, right? Um, well, if I if I can jump in there, we're going to hear another another poem or two from you uh, as, before we close, but I did notice a conversational tone. It reminds me of Latin American conversational poetry, specifically from the, the insurgent period, from the 60s, 70s, and 80s, made more famous by Nicaragua, but the Salvadoran poets were just really, really there. Um, 
And you, are, you just talked about a people's art that reminds me of Rocky Dalton, right? All his poems are about huge things, imperialism, but through the vision of the workers. Mm. Yeah. And, 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 and that's what I, what, what I started to, to hear in your poem, just as you opened up as a conversation. And it's, it's the people's art. It is a very different type of art, and I would probably disagree that all art is, is, uh, is, is activism. It could be... Art-making. Art making. Okay. Well, you, your art certainly is activism, and we agree on that. And it's actually more than activist. I think uh, it is actually it, it, it's virgin on insurrection. Mm-hmm. So that's the biggest compliment I could give. Uh, but I think that process um, is always essential. Like the how the art is made, and for me as a filmmaker, it is always essential that it's collaborative and made in community. Um, I grew up in Mount Pleasant. I was nine years old when this happened. I walked up. Um, I saw Daniel Gomez's blood on the cement. Like I felt the anger and frustration. I ran from the tear gas the next day. And it was a moment, I was nine, but it was a moment that actually was a seed that planted like why I wanted to become a filmmaker. Because similar to what Sammy just said, like realizing how how folks, this neighborhood that raised me, and yet there were so many folks that weren't being seen and heard, and seeing storytelling as this vehicle for bringing people together like this so that people can listen to one another. But for me, even, even the process of putting it together is... Is it needs to be collaborative. So I know I've known Kike since I was a kid. He was a mentor of mine. Um, and I immediately reached out to him. And the kind of process of making this film was always like talk to Kike, talk to Lilo, who do we need, who, what, what poems need to be in this, bring them into the edit room. Let's talk about what needs to be in this film. Um, and then at the end of it, it's essential to then give it back to the community too. Yeah, you know, and, and you described your film as. Uh, your, your 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 film work as focusing on everyday revolutionaries, and I really like that. And I'd like for you to talk a little bit more about that. What do you mean by by everyday revolutionaries? You know, similar to what you're saying about the everyday poetry. I mean, I think we make revolutions in so many different ways, and sometimes it's the small acts that need to be honored and captured that don't get seen. So the everyday revolutionaries are the heroes that I grew up with, like Kike Aviles, like my godmother Rebecca Rice, like folks who were in the community doing the work and and not always honored and not always seen, um, but still making that difference. Um, yeah, so I think that's what I mean by everyday mm-hmm. revolutionary. I like that, yeah. Um, you know, the, the film itself is actually quite accomplished art in, in complex ways. And as I was mentioning earlier, I really like the way you use distortion and you, you have upside-down frames. And, uh, and, and, and that's part of the whole context, right? Um, but there are also some, some frames that, that worried me because, you know, if, this happened like two months after Rodney King thing, right? Yeah. And as we know, the, all the footage on the Rodney King incident uh, was first the thing that let us know what a lot of us know. That's just normal when I first saw it. I said, okay, they beat down another dude, you know? Mm-hmm. So like, I was actually surprised until I saw it take off because uh, I guess people hadn't seen it and the film was important for that, hmm. the camcorders at that time. But... As that process went on, 
And as 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 the as the police, who included some Latinos, right, went to trial, they used film footage, and they deconstructed it in a way that made the film work against Rodney King, and they showed it frame by frame by frame, isolating mm-hmm. things. And some of the frames in this film have people identified even with their names, and I'm wondering. I don't know what the statutes of limitations are, but don't, you know, don't do that to that bottle. You know, don't get him in trouble. He got away, I think. So I was just start, I was cringing that, you know, people, people from the bodies knew to cover their faces, but mm-hmm. some didn't. And mm-hmm. I'm just worrying about the potential danger of some documentary film and some techniques. I don't know what you have to say about that. Yeah, I think, you know, as a filmmaker, you, you have to, I think it's important beyond anything else that you're being ethical and responsible and that's the whole part of the collaboration too Mm -hmm. that you're not exploiting or putting folks at risk um i think you know in this case it's a historical doc um a lot of these young people i mean this was 30 years ago you know so i did um i did consult i'm always also in consultant consulting with lawyers and and activists and the, and i think the risk was actually pretty low and actually a lot of people like this moment was about being seen mm-hmm. i think you know one of the most powerful lines in the film is when lilo gonzales says you know there was just so much anger and wanting people like wanting people to realize that we exist you know, so actually showing their faces is really, it's a, it's a part of that, you know. Um, and so I think a lot of these young people wanted to be seen because they wanted to have their needs met. They wanted education. They wanted, you know, good housing, you know. All the stuff that the ripples that happened after this was about being seen. So it was important mm-hmm. to show their faces. And the distortion that we were doing when we were flipping the police over or spinning it on an axis, that was intentional because, you know, some of the policing has become so normalized that you don't see it anymore. You know, it's mm-hmm. like, and I think as a filmmaker, we wanted to to really play with that. Like, this does not make sense. Like, there should not be tear gas in a community with kids. We shouldn't have folks being jumped for not doing anything every single day. Like, that's not normal. So we're going to flip the police upside down to show the chaos of that. Excellent. You know, one of the... One of the um unpleasant conversations that we really still don't have too often is is the role of uh, 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 racial minority women, LGBTQ police, and what that reveals about the nature of power. And this is a scene, this is a situation where a, a, a black woman cop did the shooting. And we have the, the you know, Mark Zimmerman, is the one who killed Trayvon Martin, and he's identified as Cuban-American and Italian-American. Two of the police who beat down Rodney King were Latinos. Uh, Sandra Bland was arrested, uh, and I say uh, uh, psychologically tortured, by a Latino police officer. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, uh, my own experiences, Latino police officers were the worst in my body on Houston uh, in terms of the way they treated us as youth. And... I'm, I'm wondering if uh, you felt you, you dealt with that uh, adequately in the film. You certainly did deal with the pan-racial community fabric that, was, that, that probably strengthened because of this, right? But that particular issue of you know, police killing uh, us and they look like us. Mm. 
Yeah. So there was a cut of the film that we spent much longer just on that. And then we realized that that was another film um, and probably needed a different filmmaker too. But um, I think that, you know, actually I want to kick it over to Sammy because I think that chapter where we did talk about that, I think really lands with Sammy um, bringing up that, um, how it, like the underlying the underlying reason of why this is happening is white supremacy and like why even if it was a black cop like why was why was the police created in the first place it was created to you know to catch slaves like it was created by the white establishment to protect white property you know so in some ways it doesn't matter it doesn't matter that it was a black cop but i want to kick it over to sammy to talk a little bit more about that yeah i mean for me it's about like how we measure ourselves right and I don't care who you are, whether you're white, Latino, or black, or Asian, or however you identify, you measure yourself against whiteness, right? That's because that's the world we live in, right? We can't avoid it. You can become aware of that and do something about it, but with a history of colonialism, with a history of imperialism, if you think about how we measure power, that is identified as white, right? So D.C. was 90-something percent black when that happened, right? But what they were doing is when the Salvadorans came in, it was like, oh, hold on. We fought for this, right? This is ours. You can't have it, right? Because they, was, they were looking at the power structure, Right? They were looking at like, look, we like we are here now at this level of really of like what is seen as good. Right. Which is often identified as whiteness. Right. Which is uh, which is what is identified as power. Right. So when you look at like and, and I say in the film, oppress people. Don't like I forget how I said it, but basically oppression leads to oppression. Right. So if I had to fight to get where I'm going. If I need to keep it, I'm going to oppress someone else. Right. So when this happened, their resolution for it was to bring Puerto Rican cops. So that they could have conversations with the Salvadorans. Not realizing that. Puerto Rican cops didn't like the Salvadorans, right? So I had a conversation with one once. He's like, oh, it's all good because I, I I'm a teacher. I was teaching like a few years after that, right, um, in the area. And he goes, oh, it's all good to one of them want to marry your daughter, right? There was no, because again, within our own folks, there are tears, Right? And we place those tears there because we want to be like these folks, right? Because that's what it means to have power. And that also means that the things we strive for sometimes are seen as moving towards whiteness. I have a university education. When I would go home from college, my sister and my aunt would throw me on the couch and rub me like that. And be like, yo, we got to wipe, wipe the white off you. Right? Because for them, going away to school was a white thing. 
right? So education is a white thing, right? So that's, I think, for me, that's the piece, right? We oppress each other because we are measuring ourselves against whiteness, right? When we stop doing that and we start seeing ourselves as oppressed people, right, then you get a conversation, right? Wait, no, your oppression is like mine, right? And this has to do not just with race, but with money, right? I got the bass player in the film. He says, look, there are folks and there are people. Folks are the ones who get it and work with you to make the changes that need to happen. And people are the ones they're fighting. Right? So we got to get more folks talking to each other. I like that. It, uh, you, you remind me of, you know, when I came back from, from uh, graduate school, I uh, went to eat at my tia's house and I asked for a fork. And they, they all look at me like, you know, must. Because we eat with tortillas, right, in my mm-hmm. family, right? So it's, it's I don't even know. Yeah, right? yeah. And, and it is true, you know, uh, it, this does become part of, of uh, training for, to become uh, a member of the, uh, of the managerial class. And that, that, that issue uh, relates to something you said, uh, the, the word power. And I'd like to hear you talk a little bit more about power. You're coming from uh, a Boricua uh, uh, heritage, uh, you are a colonial subject, uh, and a lot of people don't like that term, uh, but Puerto Rico is a colony. Uh, there are different rights, uh, if you want to call them that, afforded to Puerto Ricans on the island than those uh, here in the, in the mainland. Uh, federal voting rights, for instance, uh, etc. Um, there is a separate and unequal reality there. And I was uh, hoping that you might be able to talk about uh, that word power and particularly Latino, Latina, Latinx power in relation to U.S. colonialism and also that, form, that framework you, you, you gave us between folks, which I'm seeing, you know, the, the working class folks, you know, uh, and the managerial class that a lot of us are, are, are part of and being trained to be part of uh, until we try to become uh, 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 subversive to the degree that we're able. But so, yeah, what is Latino power, mm. basically? How do we get free? Uh, it's, you asking. <laughs> it's, like, it's like, y'all know? <laughs> Does somebody out there know how to get free? We are free. Ex- uh, uh, well, yeah. Uh-huh. Now, here's the thing. You're right, right? We are free to make the choices we need to make around how we get involved in community. Hmm. Right? Okay? That's the piece. For me, anyway. It's like, I chose to be a teacher. Right? My mother was a teacher. Right? And for many folks who go into the profession, that is a seat of power in the wrong direction. Because I carry trauma, right? And when I become a teacher... That trauma gets passed on to my students by the way I interact with them. Right? So I think when we make choices about how we're going to interact with community and we start dealing with the trauma of, and I think we all carry trauma, right? Uh, the trauma of 
being folks who are victims of, victims of aggression, both from the people in power and the people in our own communities, right? When we like make choices that allow us to deal with that trauma and help others through that trauma, right? And see that and find a landing place that says we can heal together, right? I think that's where you start gaining power, right? Where you start seeing each other, right? And you start making more choices that cause your freedom to be expanded even more. Because I think we are restricted as well. We are free, but we're restricted. Yes, sir. You know, at least for me, right? And the, but the restriction comes when you allow it, right, to keep you from connecting. Once you do that, once you start connecting with community and the people that are in that community and the folks who need to, like, heal with you, then those restrictions go away, right? Because oftentimes those restrictions are the ones that come with that, like, layers of, like, what is, what does it mean to have power and how is that connected to whiteness, you know? That, that, that sense of community and, and, and cross-racial, even cross-class community comes out in the film really well. Uh, mm-hmm. It is, it, it, it looks like an autonomous zone, right? It really does look like, you know, and, and even some of the people in the film are saying, you know, this was ours. So we finally made the statement, this is ours. Uh, and uh, it was powerful because it is pan-racial. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm wondering how or what lessons we can take away because we can have these autonomous zones as hard as they are to get, right, that, that seem to have, have occurred there. Um, what, what do we do still with uh, the, the suits, the, the elected officials, the government structures, the police departments that remain intact, the militarism that's going to keep uh, people migrating to, to, to the colonial seat of power, et cetera, um, what do we do with that? What, what does Mampleza teach us on how to fight power? Well, you know, I want to take it back a little bit because I grew up, growing up in Mount Pleasant, um, I mean, it made me who I am. And, you know, that, that scene in that block party, like that, I, I was there. Like, I think that was, that was the community I, I was raised in. Um, and it was diverse. But it was folks who looked out for one another. You know, we would we would all play out on the street, and then like the the neighbors would all make sure that the kids got home um, before dinner. You know, it was that kind of looking out for each other. And I think you know, um, even though so many of us have been displaced, myself included, um, because of the forces of capitalism, which is a power that we always have to like figure out how to dismantle in some ways. Um, we end the film with Dia de los Muertos because it's this act of resistance and it's this like, no matter, you know, even if you can't live here, you can't afford to live here, you can still claim a space with music and food and poetry and gather and really kind of emphasize that value. And I think what we're seeing more and more 
And what gives me hope is um, how folks, in some ways, with mutual aid, have started to really realize how important that is. You know, we saw a lot in the pandemic, you know. Um, people are really are realizing that maybe we can't, I mean, I don't know. There, there's, we could talk about this for hours, about whether we could change the system or just create new ways that we interact with each other. But for me, I think it's been beautiful to see that happening, as well as figuring out ways to, dil- to dismantle these systems of power and abolish the systems of power that aren't working for us. Yeah, this film uh, it's, it's perfectly timed. Also, um, you know, we had a, a series of, of of intersecting cataclysms, right? Not just the pandemic, but uh, you know, more more police killings, right? Uh, George Floyd, and and then the Black Lives matter movement uh with the capital black lives matter and then the mass the masses right uh, coinciding and and i think this this film is speaking to that moment in that uh it is warning us to keep it grounded keep it keep it uh with the masses don't put la Mamplesa incorporated you know, uh, which is what happened to Black Lives Matter, right? Uh, it's kind of bifurcated with the, the corporatized paradigm that vets everybody and then the, the, the grassroots uh, activists that are not getting any of the funding or very little of the funding. Uh, so I'm just, just making that comment, just that that, that, that groundedness and the, way, the, the vision that's gr- driving you all as artists, activists, is, is a, a very prescient message for the current uh, moment. That said, I was hoping you, you might uh, be able to reflect on, on contemporary, uh, the contemporary context, That's specifically the George, George Floyd uh, and all that, that, that has come from, from his tragic, mm-hmm. uh, tragic death. I think for me it's a matter of like it continues to happen, yeah. right? And it's going to continue to happen. I mean, we're, we're looking at like even, even when you look at the comments that the LA like council members yeah. made, right? When you think about those and you see and understand that how we're seeing each other isn't like a way where we actually see each other, yeah. right? Um, so when you think about like the history of it, like DC had the rights since in the 60s, right? And then the Lama Pesa right, like uprisings happened right after, like Rodney King was, you know, was filmed, right, and then after the Mount Pleasant, then you had the L.A. risings happen, right. So you would have thought, maybe, you know, somebody would have paid attention to that, right, but and then you come back because there's no shifts in in policing. There's no, like, I mean, a lot of folks are like, oh, no, there's no way you can, like, get rid of policing. But you put, a, you put some really good social workers out there. You put some folks who are, who are really, like, in tune with people. A lot of the work that police do have nothing to do with what is needed, right? So... You gotta get you gotta get rid of what doesn't work, you know, and it's not working. 
right? And they've, they've tried changing it. You know, so if you're looking at what's happening now, it's because nothing has changed in terms of how power interacts with communities, right? So the community has to take on that power, right? So again, you look at social workers, educators, you bring folks in who understand like how to create arts programs and you know, create spaces for people, right, to be seen, really seen, mm -hmm. then you start seeing the move away from the things that are happening, right? But as long as we see a neighborhood or a people in a neighborhood or even a city as a thing to be controlled, you're going to have the same thing happen over and over again. And I think in this case, you know, I remember a couple years after Gomez was shot, um, someone saying, you know, this didn't matter. It was a blip in history. And, and one of the reasons they said that was because, well, the cop was black. Oh, Gomez was drunk. Like it was like these ways that they were erasing what had happened. And I think, you know, one of the images in the film, which in some ways distills one of the um, kind of messages we wanted to share, was that moment with the three helicopters where we're connecting the Civil War in El Salvador mm -hmm. to the, you know, to 1991 uh, to 2020 with the George Floyd protests, and realizing just how connected they are. Because when things are erased. And they can get tucked under. And then the systems of why they're happening also don't, um, are not shown, you know. So I think the film is about connecting those dots. And, you know, and now with, with the Black Lives Matter movement, you know, we do have, like, recordings of everything. And that's been huge. It's not enough. Um, but it's huge because that wasn't, that wasn't there. That wasn't there for, for Daniel Gomez. And it was one of the reasons that also it was tucked away. But I think we could be in a moment, you know, an access um, towards that vision that you're, you're, you were talking about, Sammy, and just because of films like yours. Um, and, you know, what you describe reminds me of what in Cuba is called Committees for the Defense of the Revolution. And they're neighborhood committees. And they have their social worker. They have their medical cadre. I mean, they have, you know, their teachers, counselors, youth. They have, they have every neighborhood organized um, in a way that uh, emphasizes serving the community. The police, you won't even see them. Okay? They don't need police because it's the community is taking care of each other. Uh, and there's all kinds of you know, complications and all kinds of different understandings of what the communities of, for the defense of the revolution may, might mean. But they're also U.S. Uh, analogs. And, you know, we, we saw that with the Young Lords, with the Black Panthers, with, with a certain degree, uh, uh, Brown Berets, a lot of grassroots organizations. And we're seeing that now also in a few cities in, like, say, Portland, they, they have a, an intermediary cadre. I was a paramedic, right? And, and, and most of the things that we're dealing with are not uh, uh, immediately medical, right? Um, it's uh, and and what what they have done in in, in Portland uh, and a few other other cities is have uh, a crisis uh, reaction team, you know, and it would involve 
uh, medical and psychological uh, services, usually two people. Uh, kind of like an ambulance, but, but uh, not necessarily uh, an ambulance because an ambulance, we're taking people to the hospital, police are taking you to jail if they don't shoot you first. You need something in between. And, uh, and I just reference that, however imperfect it is, just to say that it isn't a utopian, unrealizable possibility for us to have alternatives to the police. And I think we'll, we'll have to end with that uh, after a poem. If you can honor us again with, with your righteous words. So one of the things that's happening, and I'll, and I'll shift it from this to more of um, looking at Puerto Rico, actually. Because um, five years ago, Maria hit Puerto Rico. Um, and there are still tarps covering the homes of folks who lost their, lost their roofs five years ago. And now they just got hit again with another one. Um, and you talk to Puerto Ricans, and a lot of them are doing the work. That they're having to do the work that a government should be doing, right? Um, but there's a saying in Puerto Rico, pero nada, but nothing, right? Um, so this is a piece based on that particular Ana María, pero also that statement. Pero nada, lo perdí todo, estamos bien. This is not a war zone, not an act of God, not a single moment, but many. That started with the rain that found the spaces and drove them itself into them, leaving nothing untouched by its need to invade. That started with the wind cutting through a home, causing the woman inside to scream at it, to yell her resistance, to lay claim to what was hers. This is suffering. And then reclaiming possibility with a pero nada. Pero nada, but nothing. Lo perdí todo. I lost it all. Estamos bien. But we are well. This is not submission. It is a statement of fact, one that makes clear survival. Pero nada, but nothing. What we have left. Lo perdí todo. What we acknowledge is lost. Estamos bien. How we know what matters. El coquí, la plena, el corazón del pueblo, la generosidad de una comunidad, la fuerza de mi gente. How we know that we are strength. How we know wind and rain and leaders who throw paper towels and speak of our dead as if they were not enough are not allowed to break us. How we know that 100 by 35 is not the extent of our borders. That like the rain and wind, the children of this place will invade. We'll bring what is needed. We'll join in the rebuilding and we'll stand against the winds of loss that will blow through us, but will not knock us down and can never tear away foundation. Because we know what to say. Pero nada, aquí estamos. Gracias. Thank you very much. Um, I just want to thank everybody for being here. I don't. I think you you ended on a very perfect uh, note. I'm thinking of New Yorkers and also uh, the New Yorkan poet movement and its second and third generation going on now, which I see you as part of. Um, and 
That's 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 all I'll say. You you all give us some hope, some vision, and and no easy answers, and and more questions. I would say because we still haven't figured out what freedom is, but we're getting there. Right? We'll get there together. So with that, I just want to thank everyone for being here again. Thank you. You've been listening to a podcast by University of California Television. For more information about this program or UCTV. Visit us online at uctv.tv.